0: Hey TSL fan, producer Jeff here, just hopping on to note that this episode was in fact recorded before the very important and historic strike between the AMPTP and the WGA and SAG right now. Um, while we don't get into any specifics or promotion, um, because, of course, those are off-limits during this time, there are some vague references to pitching that was being done during this time, of course, before the entire Gilba's Pencils down. So, just wanted to clarify that, and if you've heard any other vague references to pitching or promotion in past episodes this summer, that is, of course, also the case as is the case with future episodes that may have been recorded in the spring. So just wanted to note that, of course, our show is completely committed to this strike, getting through it, and the solidarity that's more important now than ever. With that being said, enjoy the show. Hey,
1: everyone. Welcome back to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFauve. And I'm Lorian McKenna, and welcome
2: to part two of our two-part conversation with celebrated indie producer Ted Hope.
1: And we recommend you check out part one before jumping in. Today, we're going to be focusing on primarily Ted's 30 lessons for starting in a creative industry. Um, We just want to, we're not going to be able to go through all of them, but we've picked our favorites and ones that we think super apply to uh, the writers out there. Uh, starting in the creative industry. But of course, Ted, whatever insights you have from whatever perspective, we are deeply interested. Um, And we're going to talk about some other things, too, if we have time. But so, Ted, welcome back to the show.
3: Great to be here. Thanks for having me.
2: So before we get started um, on the part one of our two part talk with you, you mentioned at the very end your exercise for writers, which was making a list of a hundred things you love and not just like movies or TV shows, but like, and you use the example of the cup that you drink out of and why you love it and how it makes you feel. And so last night I did this exercise with my writing students and, you know, I went first to show them and it was so great because You learn so much about a person that way. And it was all so unexpected. And so I wrapped that back around with like, and this is all your characters need this too, whether it's in your script or not. Like, why do they have that particular coffee mug on their table and how it informs their character? And they all just lit up being able to talk about this thing. It felt very vulnerable to them too. Like, I love this coat because this is why I got it and how it makes me feel and- (laughs) It was such a inspiring sort of magical experience to be like, why do I love this coffee mug? And why is it special to me? And it really gave me a chance to be like, this is special. I'm special. I have relationships with all these things and things I love. And so in order to like get out of the like, blah, I was like, wait, what do I love and why? And not so much about comfort or dependency, but just like a legit, I love this thing. So thank you for that. And I think I gave you credit, of course. Uh, and one of the students was like, I love Ted Hope. So, you know, it was very exciting, but thank you for that. <laughs> it was a gift and and something I hope I can can hold on to. Yeah.
3: You know, it's funny thinking about that. Like I was thinking, thinking of different ways that different filmmakers gave, helped me find prompts that help in the script development. And I think one of the first ones that really, I felt was always like a exercise to do came from Alexander Payne. And it was, you know, what are they longing for? What are these characters longing for? Which I, I very much like that phrase, you know, because it's the thing that you either once had or never had, you know, that's not quite within reach and thus gets embedded in behavior of different ways. And ultimately, I think, universal. It helps us connect deeply with with characters. And it's so close to identifying love because when you identify the things that people love and appreciate, you often start to see where the holes and gaps of what they're missing are, which becomes like the driver for for much behavior, you know, and um, and it's it's so it's wonderful when when folks can share those things. Like I found this technique. And once I, heard like that for alexander you see it in all of his characters like he's a master and making sure that that lands you know
1: i love that other side of the coin uh of what you love is also longing and the holes in between oh so beautiful so beautiful um well let's jump into your 30 lessons for starting in a creative industry um we loved you know recognize that is going to be a long game. You need endurance. I believe that's number one on your list. <laughs> you
3: know, it, it really is. I think we touched a little bit about that in the prior session that um, I, I I think one of the best things that uh, I don't even know where it came from. I have to figure this out. But that, that early on, I got the advice of like, how to feel better in 15 years doing what you do today. Like if you're doing the exact same thing, how do you keep yourself? We were talking about, you know, not getting jaded. You know, how do do you keep feeling better and better? It's all goes back to that maintenance, right? It's not balance, it's maintenance, you know? Um, And like, I can't tell you how many times that I, I felt like, Oh my God, I'm at the peak of my game. I finally got good at what I do. And then like cut to five years later, oh my, I can't believe I thought I was at the top of my game. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) You know, it's like, oh my. And it keeps on going. I was meeting with somebody today and just saying, like, I really know, like, my best work is still like 10 years in front of me. You know, like I hope I get to do it. You know, I just get sharper and sharper and you know, well, there's
1: the, and there's the other coin of that, which is my son is in film school and at 19 he feels behind and he's already judging himself and worried he's not doing enough. And it's like, dude, this is such a long game. I get that you're jealous that that, that those guys over there are going to go shoot a feature this summer and you're not. And But yeah, it's a long game. This is not I think kids. And emerging writers forget it's not school. It's not like you're going to get an A and get to graduate into the next grade. It is such a long game. And I know it's hard for his brain to even understand what I'm talking about. And, but I so important.
3: And related to that, and I you know cribbed this from uh, Rebecca Miller, um, is personal velocity. You know, like not measuring ourselves against others and recognizing that we move at our own speed, right? And like some people arrive, Fully formed, I you know. Generally speaking, uh, Orson Welles's best film is *Age 21. Sometimes it is the eyes of those uh, you know uh, of the young who are you know babies who see things in a in a fresh way. Um, sometimes it's you know uh, Athena's owl flies at, at night. Um, how how you know how not to compare ourselves to others. And accept what we're doing as a necessary part of the, the process. Like, I'm sure we've all had a friend say say this to, to us uh, somewhere along the line. But I remember the, very well, like the first time, like a friend of mine said, you know, I'm in love with this woman. She has a kind of scarred path and different people keep pointing that out to me. But I'm in love with her. And that's how she got here, right? You know, like, like those different sorts of things. We need those things. And those are what gives us the strength and distinction. The best thing to have in your writing, in your filmmaking, in your management style, whatever it is, is a personal style, is that thing that is uniquely yours. You know, you can be well gifted in many range and we should always be trying to expand that, but you want that thing that's yours. And sometimes it comes by playing in the dirt, you know?
1: And failure, yeah. you know? Like, yeah. why Why my kid thinks that he's gonna make a music video and it's gonna be awesome that he doesn't have to make 10 of
3: them. That piece, like, particularly I think in America, the the idea of fail better, right? The, the needing to have those learning experiences and recognize that those are learning experiences like sometimes, yeah, you can't do this piece well, and you're probably going to avoid it for some time, but then you can come back. How do we make sure we we harvest those lessons and learnings and don't stigmatize ourselves? Because we are the hardest judge on ourselves, yes, right? Yes. You know, and just like, I will get better. I will get better. Like it it is by making mistakes that we we things learn we learn and re- resonate like it took me a long time to recognize that the like when i was coming up and i'd look at different positions i was like that person doesn't do anything how did why are they so respected and I didn't realize they were like so awesome. You didn't, you know. I'd come up through low budget indie production where, where it was a da- disaster all the time. I thought the job was fixing disasters. So once I reached another notch, and I was actually with competent individuals who actually could, you know, you know, start to to observe because they took care of their work before they arrived that day. Um, it, it was mystifying for me and it took me a long time to, to, to see, you know, like you will learn by having those mistakes and then you get to the place where it looks like maybe you don't make mistakes, but you're going to keep learning from, you need those, you need to go through that if you're going to get there. So instead of saying like, Oh crap, I failed to do this. It's like, well, I'll never do that again.
1: Yeah. I want my new, my new t-shirt is you will get better.
3: That's my new t-shirt. That's nice you
1: one. will get better. I
2: think part of it too, is you have a big experience and it doesn't go the way you want it. And then sort of being able to step up and out of that to keep going. And I think particularly yeah. for women, because we're sort of told and taught this thing like, no, you have to be great right off the bat. You have to do all that mistaking so no one can see it so that when you show up, you're perfect. And so I think a lot of women in the industry struggle with this perfectionism. And I mean, have you seen people... what? what things have you seen people do in terms of like going into the darkness shit that fucking sucked and then being able to recover and not, not having it hang around on them. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah.
3: I, I I think my best lesson though came from like, uh, you know, starting to co- come a, of age in the late seventies, early eighties and getting to experience punk rock. Right. Like to me, that was the, something where it was always quote a joyful noise or not necessarily joyful maybe angry noise but for me it was joyful and you know not being about so much refinement and execution certainly not about perfectionism you know it was about getting up there showing up in the room and giving it your your all and i embraced that and because I was like, I, I was uh, restless and not um, if someone didn't step forward, I didn't necessarily want to lead. But if I, no one else was going to step forward, I was going to step forward and just do it. And it's like, well, you brought it all out on yourselves because you didn't step forward. So you're going to deal with my mistakes because I will make them. Um, and I think a lot of that informed the the uh, early days of uh, you know, it, the indie film stuff. Like, um, although I, I would say, you know, who, you know, how Hartley was a writer director that I came up with, I think we made like eight or nine films together. Um, and he was super specific on what he wanted. He kind of knew what he wanted, but he liked trying to get it to this realm where it felt like maybe it would, it would fall apart. Like, like, how do you have that tension in there? And which really was a willingness to, to, to fail, you know, to push things and, and getting, you know, enjoying that pushing.
1: That's so so great. Like within the story is the tension that you're right on the edge. I do think that's Pixar too. Like they ask you to go right out to the end edge and you can feel that tension in the story. And what's so great about punk rock is it's a great image because they didn't care if you liked them. Like that was not why they were up on stage. They were not up on stage to get their value from you liking them. They were up on stage because this is what they loved. This is what they fucking loved. And they that and that's it. Like, and it's okay if you don't love it and you did it, do it again. Because there's some sort of ownership of yourself as a being versus I need approval. Like the I need approval is gonna sink you. And by the way, I have it. Don't worry. Like you can have it, but it can't be the ultimate thing that's driving the creative because. It it isn't going to be creative. It isn't going to be that edge. You have to have a little bit of swagger. You got to have a little studs on your leather coat. You got to have a little swagger
3: Yeah, or or rage against the machine. You know, fuck you. I want to do what You'll tell you tell me like that. That is so instrumental. I think sometimes to just like keep going like I trust it. I trust it.
2: My takeaway from this is that the next time something catastrophic happens to me, I'm just going to put on the butthole surfers and fishbone and the violent femmes that first album which is so amazing we're just just gonna dance around look what these guys did they didn't fucking care and i love that stuff so like now i know i have my answer it's just like here's the mirror that's it let's be that good as you're just as amazing in the violent femmes that first
1: album so stand up and go (laughs) again just go again all right number two
3: you've got your blister (laughs) in the sun
1: that's right oh that's right that song (laughs) i love that song so So much. much okay Um, learn how to build and keep your passion strong from the start might be a little bit of what we're talking about. Um, you know, how to keep that passion going.
3: Yeah. You know, the, uh, you know, tied to like what we were also talking about in the last session, you know, how not to get jaded eyes, right. You know, so certainly, you know, uh, finding, you know, keeping the curiosity, always be learning, you know, and knowing what you love help helps a great deal. Also, your new T-shirt motto, you know, you will get better. You like, I've always found it interesting that they say that that saying um, insanity is trying doing the same thing and expecting different results. I'm sorry, no, that's sanity, right? Because you're never in the same river twice, right? You aren't the same person you were yesterday. We do get better. This is why, you know, uh, relapse is part of recovery, right? You know, you have those failures and you learn how to survive them and to go forward. You are not that same person. And you have to, like, I think always know that. And with that, summon those things of like, I want to keep my my child mind. I want to keep that that celebrate. Yeah that those eyes of wonder there. And sometimes you need to spark it in someone else to to say like, I see you, you see me, let's do this together. Right. That's also kind of the perform, the punk rock performer leaping into the audience. We are all one. Right. You know, and like, how do you keep that, that going? It's so easy. I was talking to a filmmaker yesterday, you know, who's just like, Ted, I just so hate the business. I just hate it. I can't take it anymore. And I was saying, but you're talking to me because you know, you love what you do, right? You know, you want to do more. Mm -hmm. of it. So stop reading about the business. Don't read the trades, right? Try to find the things that inspire you, you know, along the way, make sure that the, that you're not when you're sharing a script for notes, you're not sharing it for someone who's kind of transactional, you know, it's like, well, now you'll have to do it for me or, or is just like, you know, I don't want, you know, your success will get in the way of my success or whatever that stuff is. Find the person that's like, no, I want you to kick ass and do good work. You know, they may not be as good a reader, but like, keep that spirit alive, you know? Awesome. Like, like, we get, you know, everyone in the world's read Sapiens by now, right? But like the, the the, the takeaway for me on that book is like storytelling is the greatest technology ever invented, right? That it allows us to see each other, allows us to work together. It gives us like a North Star, all of the all of the those things, we get to do it. We won already won, right? You know, it's like, Now let's play. Now that we won, let's really like, we have nothing at stake. Let's figure out how to break through to the next side. Okay. So
2: in relation to that, like on your list also is stay respectful of your predicament. And predicament is such an interesting word that you're using here. Not situation, not journey. It's predicament. Can you talk a little bit about what you mean by that?
3: Well, we're in the, you know, we're in a uh, business of art and entertainment. Right, it's a business of art and entertainment. That's the predicament, right? That I think everyone enters the film business because a movie changed their life, that they saw the transformative power of art, that they 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 felt that this story was about them, or that performer was about them, or something deep connection. They entered with good intention and great hopes, right? And it's really hard to stay afloat, stay afoot to progress, to get recognized for your work. And so you start taking out some bad habits, right? But the origin story I think is always really positive, mostly, you know, I don't know any that aren't, but people do lose their way. That's also your predicament, right? So you have folks who are worried about like, what's going to happen next and why aren't they treated fairly? Why aren't they recognized for for what they do? And that's a hard sandbox to be in, right? Um, Particularly if, you know, you and your team are becoming, not like, you know, we're not masters. The best work is still in front of us. And we actually wanna try to experiment and get into that realm outside of our safe zone and, you know, that walk amongst the the unknowns. And, that that people start going, bells are going off. It's like, oh my God, Ted's taking us a place where we're all gonna lose our jobs. Whoa, 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 whoa. Right? You know, like super seasoned writer um has won, you know, made history, done all, all, all sorts of great stuff. Talking to yesterday about some studio notes and and reminding them that this is about the beginning of a dialogue. Right. This is about us gaining trust at a certain point, because we know we'll be here for many reasons, nine months down the, 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 the road. But we know like this is where they wanted to end the conversation. It doesn't feel good, but it's about having a conversation. That's all it is, is having a conversation. That's they need the same point. Yeah. And like we're just going to keep going like so many times, you know, felt. Writers, filmmakers will will say like, okay, now I know I can recognize you had this note when we first started meeting 10 weeks ago, but you didn't give it to me then. I was like, right. You weren't ready to hear it. I wasn't going to tell it to you. We had plenty of other work to do, you know, and I wanted to address those. And now you recognize why. But if I had led with that, you know, you would have walked out the door. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's the predicament. Right, like, like right. we're human beings, we're sensitive. We we are in great places that we get to work in this film, film world. It's a capitalist enterprise based on, founded on scarcity, going through transformations where big parts of the, the, the system do not care about the art. Everyone's looking for a shortcut where there isn't one. You know, you can moan about it. You can say you hate the business or you can just say like, you know, I'm not working in the coal mines like my ancestors.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I had a director once we had to cut a scene and during the shoot and it was very stressful because we we didn't have enough time. We were out of money. We had to cut a whole scene. And she looked at me and she goes, well, nobody's dying today. You know, I'm not sending men off into war, so we're fine. So now in response to predicament um, and staying respectful to it, kind of the other side or an element of it is something you said, which is learn what boundaries you need to set. So stay respectful of the predicament is asking us to stay open, even though there's a predicament, but there's also boundaries to set.
3: Yeah, I there's a couple of ways to to look at this, and I think it's been. Um, it was hard for me to get to the the place where I actually both said and respected both of those sides. Um, I think that a lot of creative people are obsessive to one degree or another, right? And they they can go long and deep, you know, uh, and relentless, right? And that's really a hard place to, to dwell. Um, and for some folks, it's really necessary at the same time. So I, you know, you know like little stupid things that change your life. Uh, Early on in my career, something's going wrong. I can't even remember what it was. And I jump in a cab and I just have bad energy all over me. Like the cab driver looks back and can feel it. And he says to me in some accent, don't let their bad ways change your good behavior. I'm like. Where did you come from? <laughs> like, holy cow, that was my day. Just like one bad thing after another. And I don't know if I have the stamina to go through it, right? That stayed with me for many times, carried carried me, me forward and started helping me recognize also, I wouldn't necessarily say anything is so black and white, it's good and bad, but to kind of recognize that, 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 the support, like everything is a bespoke fit, right? Custom Mm -hmm. fit, right? Like we can't do one size fits all. When you're in any collaborative relationship, you have to try to figure out what is it that they actually need to do their best work. And they're not gonna necessarily tell you, right? Like some people need a stronger arm. You know, some, some folks need to be told no, some folks don't need to be told no right and um trying to 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 assess that also uh i think is greatly helped by you putting it out there also like how you how you work right so you know uh a lot of this i think comes uh gets established with folks when they or one of their collaborators first have a family right and trying to manage that particularly uh women who still have an unfair uh part of 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 childcare don't want to let anyone judge them for you know looking after their family you know so like it becomes even harder for them to to say that you know um and i had to get called out at times by friends who were close to me you know who who would say like Ted, you're not being sensitive to my needs, essentially. They, that language wasn't perhaps there yet, but it was like, no, I need this and you'll right. need it one day too. Uh, and uh, and I, I think that like the easy, you know, if we can determine, if we can enter the game knowing what some of those things are, dude, please don't send me emails at eight o'clock right. after, after 8 p.m. at night, you know, um, if this is our day off, let's treat it as a day off unless it's an emergency. You know, don't expect me to respond immediately to your text, you know, on it, but I will respond in this point in time, but I make mistakes. Like what, where are those sorts of things? You know, and you see it in also like trying to determine how like different directors work. And it's the same thing with different writers. Like some directors, want you to say like that scene, I didn't believe that, what was just done. And they want you to tell it to you, tell it like when it happens. Others like, Ted, let me do my work. And if I haven't got it by take nine, come tell me that, you you know, what's going on. Right. Wherever those things are, look for boundaries, determine them, speak about them and declare yours i wrote a whole book so someone people would know me a little bit better that's why i wrote the book because i got tired of directors in particular saying i want you to produce my movie and i was like who are you you don't know me you don't know me so when
2: i when i started my first day as a showrunner i got really great advice for someone that sometimes works from someone, which was, um, is this a you emergency or a me emergency? And it really helped me figure out how much of myself I needed to let what parts of myself I needed to give to, to pay attention to that particular situation and how much emotional heat was coming off the person and how to manage that and expectations, um, and so, you know, it doesn't always work, but it, it helped me in my brain sort of filter out like not everything is a full fire alarm, right? Yes, it's important to you, but let me take care of this in an hour, right? And sort of setting those boundaries for myself so that I could manage all the emergencies that were happening and the me emergencies. Um, and then I'm curious a lot about what you're talking about, you know, boundaries, be respectful, and being yourself in, in what you're doing. And like define it. You say define success for yourself. Don't conform to others definition. And that's so critical. Like the expectation that you're going to be great at something right off the bat, or that if you haven't gotten there yet, but sort of ties into the, like, you will get better. And it's a, it's, it's a predicament you have to keep going through it. Can you talk a little bit about how you define success for yourself without feeling like a constant failure when you don't get there?
3: (laughs) Right. Right. You know, it, I haven't been true, I would say I've made mistakes on this on the, along those these lines. And, you know, some of it is very closely related to, you know, uh, comparing yourself to others and 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 that like when certain friends started making a lot of money. I was trying to understand, like why I wasn't making a lot of money. And um, was that somehow was I doing something wrong? Was I not being valued for what I actually was? How come it wasn't working for me like it was for them? And it really rubbed me the wrong way. It made me bitter for a while. Um, And on the other hand, every time I made decisions that were about money, I was unhappy. I wasn't enjoying myself there. My work wasn't as good. Even if I could keep myself, like it was hard enough to keep focused and conscientious to do my job in those circumstances but even when I did that I wasn't I don't think I was doing it as well so
2: both Meg and I if you guys can't see are nodding our heads we have both <laughs> and very they can't much, see
1: so just yes. know that we're
2: not yes it's very much uh this is a theme in my life, watching all the different paths I go down. Okay, money, health insurance, security, I'm dead inside, crap. Quit that, move on to the, oh my God, this is amazing, no money, what do I do, scramble hustle, right? Go back to the money thing. So it's been this uh, very complex journey and I like hearing you talk about it in terms of framing this, that it is a predicament. It is an ongoing management of the expectations I have for myself and continuing to move forward. And that it's not wrong or bad that i made those choices that's just what i was doing when i was that person and it was very important at that time right i think we can look back and be like ah look at all these terrible choices i made about money but it helped us get where we are now and we can make a more thoughtful educated decision based on who we are now and what serves us at this moment so i know a lot of writers uh emerging writers like i want to quit my job and make a living as a full-time writer but feel like a failure when that never materializes and they're still having to work these office jobs or other jobs or babysit or teach classes, you know, and that's not, you have to redefine your version of success. that That's what I hear you saying, right?
3: Yeah. And like in that managing, aren't, what weren't both William Carlos Williams and E.B. White, like one's a doctor and one's a, you know, John Prine was a postman, like what you know, like what all all these different little things, you know. There are also blocks right things like you know financial security is really important. Like you you need to get that established to prevent disaster from from striking, right? And you want to build upon it so you can have a nest, right? But uh, there are times you trade it off. I've definitely taken things for the health insurance. Um, and recognize like, okay, I think I, I have a year that I can do this just fine. And I know I need this now and being able to stretch it out to two years, you know, along the, the, the way, but getting unhappy, but in that unhappiness of knowing how to do this, doing the prep for the thing I want to do when I quit. So I feel really good about it you know, and, you know, believe I can get the momentum that can cover me, you know? Because, um, yeah, like Cobra is so much more expensive than that, you know.
2: <laughs> yeah, that, that it is. I, think, insurance I think what you said, where you're doing this job for the money, for security is so important, but preparing yourself for the next part. Right. Not At the same not, time, not succumbing to this is the reality. But when I get to leave this, then I'll start my real life pursuing my passion. It's Which about- goes to
1: another uh, point, which is how to engineer opportunity. So you might have taken that thing for money, but you've got to engineer opportunity for the success that you are defining. Right. So how, how do you have any tips, like practical tips to how yeah. to engineer opportunity?
3: Yeah, I think there's a step in between these two things that bridges them nicely, which is a, a level of organization. And the most simple way I, I like it, it, is uh, now, soon, and and later, right? That I have, you know, I'm not a writer, right? But I have tons of movie ideas, right? And I, uh, I have tons of, like, operational improvements and definite little articles I want and all this sort of thing. And I put them into those three boxes, which are like, the week's work is the now, right? I have to get that done. I usually can get to a little bit of the soons, and, but they're, they're, the idea is like, I'm doing the soons this month, right? And the laters, I don't know when the fuck I'll get to them, right? But they I still capture them. And I find both the soons and the laters percolate, and they start to call me. And they become bigger priorities for me in my life. I work on things for a long time. Like when I had my big idea post Amazon, and I was refining the pitch. I chose not to pursue this, but when I was refining the pitch, um, I've known the the producer Anne Carey since uh, film school, and she's heard along the way like my ideas to create Good Machine. My you know that my social media mission. She's heard lots of these different things along the way. And I pitched her like my big idea. And she said, Ted, you told me this in film school, right? And (laughs) it wasn't actually, it wasn't totally true that I told her that in film school, but they are variations on a theme, right? That opportunity for all the pattern recognition that you can develop and like getting some form of a crystal ball going, you don't know where it's going to come from, right? And you need to make it feel like it's your. like what's happening in that moment is truly happening in that moment. And it's going to to it's going to be that much better if you've done some homework prior. So I work on a lot of like proposals that I, you know, like how do I write my sub stack? This may be a little bit crazy for people, but I I have like prepped to some degree, sometimes just a title. Often it's, it it doesn't, if it's a title, it's a paragraph and sometimes it much longer, 250 articles right now, right? There are things that I think need to be addressed and written about. So I have that whole list, you know, that's, you know, uh, like in in a notes section on both my computer and phone so i can add to it wherever i go and then i have my the separate drive that has all the articles on it and i have select writing times and i'm i try to be like what do i think we need right now oh yeah i know i've written that yep here it is i'm going to start to to work on that i don't always finish it cuz i we spoke for this it's a hobby i have a set writing period if i don't finish i don't finish i come back to it um but there's many different things and a lot of what that does for me too is when i sit with somebody who like i i had a, a wealthy individual um come up to me on a plane right who kind of recognized me and said you know i'm looking for ways for uh philanthropy to uh help the independent film ecosystem." I'm looking for the folks that that I know I'm one and I know other people who don't need to constantly be raising money for these things. We would like to figure out something we can make a real difference by making a financial commitment. I was like, well, I've got a few ideas. Ah, (laughs) You know, you want to be- I are
1: ready. Prepared. It's like, let me me think
3: about it. Let's like, let's get together for coffee uh, on Tuesday and I'll share- (laughs) 30 of the ideas. I mean, the the challenge of the way I work is like I I have to hold back and not really let people know how much stuff I I, you know, I'm doing because it's just too much for most people. And, th- and then they want to evaluate. And it's like, no, there's here's three good ideas. You can choose between those three, not the 30. But
1: smart. Super smart. Okay. Exactly.
3: No. Like what I do with the other 27, that's kind of now is like, I want to give everything away, hoping that somebody will grab onto it and bring it to fruition.
0: Now, soon, later is such a beautiful way to put language around all that's cooking when you're creative, because it can feel really overwhelming. And I think, you know, sometimes as a writer, you have this idea that feels like your million dollar idea. And you think like, I have to get to the page now to write it, but you might have other projects or assignments or work that take priority. But what's great about your system is even if it's a later and it does take four years before you come back to that idea, if it's good enough and important enough and meaningful enough, it won't leave. It'll be there and it'll show up in 20 years down the road. So that sometimes existential panic we feel, I think like the system and the language you're putting around
3: it eases some of that for me. I think you need to have the confidence that you will get it done. Like, you know, like, yes, there's a, you know, all of our stories end the same way. And sometimes they're a lot shorter than we anticipate. But um, other than that, like, I love, like, I'm never going to be bored. I cannot be bored. All the, you know, the people I love could leave me and abandon me. And I would still be pretty happy because I have all this stuff that is going to delight me. Right. You know, like just even like sitting here, you know, like, These are the books we haven't read. They're not the books we have read. They're the books we haven't read. There's so much to do. So many things like, you know, those, I love just, you know, this causes anxiety for some people, but it delights me. Like when I had the realization that I had put more movies on my to watch list than I would ever get to in my life expectancy, if I could maintain my maximum rate of consumption, i needed nothing new right i had already identified stuff that would most likely delight me the only reason i needed stuff new is to ground me in the existent the world that we all live in right the past already had plenty to offer me um and i i find that just just wonderful it's you know
1: Well, because I think this connects to your point of don't have a results-oriented creative practice, that the creative practice can't be about the results. Even just dividing into now, soon, later, you're saying these are living things uh, versus I have a million-dollar idea. I'm going to set like that already as a result, right? Um, Can you talk a little bit about that?
3: Yeah, and I I think the emphasis there is creative practice, right? Don't have a results-oriented creative practice. We also want that completion urge, know how to get things done, we want to develop the reputation for doing that. But the creative practice is something that I live in, you know, by myself and with my collaborators right. And that that is about like, how, how do you make, how do you, you know, make, make something beautiful, how do you make the thing speak to you. And I think you have to have, and I say this is like a non-traditional you know belief, you know, I, I'm not a religious believer in normal sense, but I have tremendous faith, tremendous faith that we will get there, that you trust the unknown. you know, you surrender, you know to it. you play. you know, you 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 find those things, you give things meaning, right? And you'd be willing to explore those things that are uncomfortable, you know, because they have something really there. Like uh, um, a friend of mine was talking about listening to a uh, podcast that Joaquin Phoenix was in um, and him saying that he actually wanted to to always feel, and I'm paraphrasing because I didn't hear it myself, embarrassment. Like, how do you get to that place where it's embarrassment? Because that's such a true thing, and that's such an interesting thing to get to play as an actor, right? So, how that that you know, how do we bring tension into creative uh, work? You can't. I don't think you can be results oriented in that. It's like. Why am I drawn to this? I don't necessarily need to have the answer, but I'm going to explore it. What are those things that I like? Why do I like it? I don't know today, but I'm gonna hold that thought because like there's something there.
1: I love that on this podcast, we call it lava, (laughs) right? Embarrassment would be lava for sure. Like it's gonna feel so uncomfortable. Uh, and yes, if you're trying to get to lava, there's not a result because it's going to come up and be erratic and chaotic and you don't know where it's go. It's creating tension. It's creating, and what we've had other people on the podcast, uh, talk about truth. Right. Uh, so I just think that's so beautiful. Um, you did have another thing on here that I think I'm just so curious about, uh, develop taste, be comfortable that it is your own. And I'm so interested in the word taste because we've heard voice a lot. We've heard individuality, only you, but you're talking about something slightly different, I think. you're talking about
3: taste, yeah, and I come from it come from a producer's perspective, right? But I think there is a a general cultural societal crisis where people are afraid to say what they like and why. And um, And I think they were, we were already there before social media. But I think social media uh, it makes it even larger. Um, Although there are certainly lots of exceptions, you know, to it. But the 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 question, like it definitely, and I because because I've been rewarded for my taste, it works as a beacon and a magnet for me, right? people know I'm respectful to begin with of artists, right and I like individual voices. so like th- there's like that security that they they come from with it, but it also says to like once people can can see that I like a outsider's point of view or I like stories of transformative change or all these different aspects of the work that I've had the pleasure to be part of, it gives them courage to reach out to me because they feel that within inside side themselves. And I think like, if you want to solve, like I had an interesting brainstorming session with some people I think are really smart about trying to address how to build a truly independent, independent film Ecosystem, because there's always been dependent on the the dominant Hollywood infrastructure. And you know, if you want to go all the way back to like questions of like first principles and all that, you have to get people to have courage in their own taste. I've always loved that line from Lewis, from Alice in Wonderland, Lewis Carroll about the white hair, right? Which which people always think the white hair says, you know, I get what I like. But he actually says, I like what I get, right? And that is what life in, you know, a consumer society trains us to do, to like what we get, to be satisfied with what we're fed. Mm -hmm. But it's so much more interesting, I think, when someone, you know, will, will speak about the nuances that they find. I have a longtime collaborator friend, who teases me about like Ted? I don't want to cook for you because when I cook for you, you say you say ah oh, like it needs a little bit of salt. Hey, did you ever think of putting Szechuan peppercorns in it or something <laughs> along the lines? And like, why won't you just like what I give you? And I was like, I think I'm showing love and appreciation when I say the the these things. Like it, it's exciting to me to think about how to you know take something further. I like
2: that you're producing a dinner someone else makes for you. I have notes. <laughs> I have notes. Let's talk about He's expressing about this. taste. He's yeah. expressing taste. So let's, let's go down that path of being a producer. And like, what tips do you have like for pitching or making something, right? Like, can you pitch an indie film? Should writers be making their own thing? Sort of, can you talk a little bit about that, please?
3: It's interesting, like the- um the The pitch scenario. and uh, I have to say, it kind of blew my mind to get to fully experience it on a daily basis at Amazon because, like the first order would be ninety uh, percent of people have forgot that it's show business, right that come in and pitch. I can't tell you the number of times people have read me their notes. Don't bother send them to me next time. Okay. Like particularly if you don't know how to read engagingly, which some don't, some do, but uh, like that, that's, you know, like to me, like the pitch needs to be a conversation. Right. And I was really impressed when the folks would come in and I didn't even frankly understand that I was getting played, but in some ways, like well-seasoned people come in and you're not even you don't even recognize you're really in the pitch yet and they're talking to you about stuff and they're leading you on and then you're like asking questions and it's a conversation and you're like oh this person is an expert on the middle ages wow who who knew oh wait (laughs) now i understand you know and it's like wow they spoke to me as a human being They made me curious and interested. They took things much more beyond. They gave me the sense of the nuance, the the bigger world that's beyond what they have on the page. What they are meeting with me was about to supplement it and show that there was much more there. Um, And and I think that so much this, I I think we're gonna watch over this next decade, Nothing to diminish the 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 writer side of it, right? We are we're going to watch that presentation piece of it sparkle much more than it will has before. Years ago, fifteen years ago, fifteen years ago, um, there's a producer in China, an American-born producer in China, um, who really you know learned how to work that that region super well who said to me over here no one reads scripts anymore and eventually that will be the how your movies get financed in america too and i was like what are you you're crazy like that what never no Huh?" and he said no like the people that actually finance the movie are, are going to read a treatment five pages two pages And they're going to trust their executives to do the rest. But their decision is going to be made on that sort of big idea. And, you know, people want to admit this goes on in, like, the studio system. But a lot of times those scripts that get greenlit haven't been read by the higher-ups, right? You know, that they've been read by the people that have done the work and who are going to stay in the nitty-gritty. But because of that, like that, how that discussion is had becomes even more and more important, right? So uh, I like you know breaking story, determining characters, fig- figuring out the visual world, all that gets done before or alongside early stage writing, and you know developing that that pitch. When you go into the pitch, you actually want people there that have already proven themselves to that community that they can execute, right? So, so how do you develop that along the way? Okay, this is like something that I I'm in deny ever saying it. I never said this, but what I don't understand is why more people don't pitch their written scripts as new ideas. Because like the benefit I've done that. I've done that. (laughs) Because the benefit of that, of course, like here I'm pitching this idea. I'm not buying. You pitch me that idea. I don't buy it. And eight weeks later, there's the script that you wrote. Oh my God, Meg, you are such a fast writer. And I can't believe (laughs) that that you actually like what you said in the room. (laughs) That's
2: what she is are. a fast writer, by the way. I just want to say that <laughs> but fast done and this. brilliant. Fast and brilliant.
3: You know? I've done this. But but like ultimately, like what harm can come from that? They might actually want to tweak and change, say, you know, like if that character did this instead, great. You still have, you know, the full writing period to write that version if that you choose to take that assignment, you know. Um How do we develop trust and, like, when thinking through what the pitch is, we want to set an environment uh, of trust and uh, support, along with the expectation, like, when's the best time to sell something? The best time is when the expectation exceeds the likely execution, right? So it's often not with a finished piece, because then it is, like, you have to have totally delivered, Right. And you still know that when you've written a script, you are still becoming, you are still getting to the next step. But now they've locked you in stone and you're like, no, but like I have all these good ideas. Right. You know, so how do you create that level of expectation of even something better, but at the same time, without bullshit, like one of the worst experiences I had in my life in dealing with with a financier. Was because one of my partners told him, oh, this will just be like this. naming Uh-oh. another movie. And I can't name it because then everyone would know what I was talking about. But uh uh, but I was like, No, we never <laughs> intended that. That was never going to be, you know, like they did that for the cell. We got the cell, but we couldn't quite ever. It was like, we're not eye here.
0: It's a scary feeling to I'm pitching a little bit right now, and I just have this little inkling in my soul that I know the script isn't quite as good as what I feel like I'm bringing to the meeting, but you kind of
3: have to play that game a little bit, right? Well, but but what, what you're saying is, like, you, you are worried that your pitch is better than your script, but you, you're going to get there. You, you are right. going to get there. Like, a, a, absolutely. You
1: will get better.
3: Right. And I want to feel that your hair is on fire to write this script, that you're really excited, you know? But it's also like in that same time, it's how you build your relationships. Okay, so you're not going to fund my, my this project of mine, Jeff. I, 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 I realize that now, but you had such a great time in my pitch. So you're going to hear my next pitch and you may not buy that one. But at a certain point, you're going to be like, God, Ted's brought me now like three really cool times are always fun. And like, boom, that day I show up with the thing that you're looking for. You know, there there is, I think in all those things, like it is that that comfort, like if it's not now, like we, we are building something together, each of those relationships of people that I'm pitching in, Right. I'm learning how to, to complement my creative team along the way. So like, we get better, like, you know, it, it's tough. Like, again, part of the predicament is like, yes, people most likely to buy if they think someone else is about to buy it. So there's a good logic of why you want to go do six places within three days. Right. But, I can guarantee you by the time you get to that six time in those three days, it's not your best version of the pitch. Whereas if you can kind of coast it out over six weeks, if that so suits you, that six time is probably going to be your best one. That's you know, so interesting. You can deliver it as a focus. So what, you know.
1: Now for the, for the emerging writers out there or the writers out there, honestly, who maybe don't have access to the pitching or, um feel like no they want to make this one um they're going to go it's it's a couple of rooms it's limited characters you could make this you could make this for a certain low budget can you talk a little bit about uh any insight and i know it's been many 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 moons since you've had to make such a low budget feature if ever i don't even know if you did but um do you have any insights into to for our writers who are just going to go make something and by the way that could be a short film too right that's another question. Should they be making features or they really just make a short film? Or for this is really a question for writer directors, obviously.
3: Right. Well, to be clear, like I look forward to making films for under half a million dollars for $300,000. I'm not sure how low I can actually go these days. And my involvement will change on those certain things because of it. But I've definitely learned like by being budget agnostic, by being experienced agnostic, by being genre agnostic, the lessons I learned one place that I applied the next, I would never have expected, right? Like it's really benefited me to be able to bounce from those different experiences, you know? Um, the uh, the question of whether a shorter feature is better um, really kind of, I, I think, can only be answered by the creator. The The feature is something that can be sold. Shorts, you shouldn't have the expectation. There are exceptions to the rule, but you shouldn't have the expectation that it will be sold, right? So you're doing it really as a learning experience, and only you can determine if you can afford to to do that. Because it all I, I would also like the beauty of shorts and features is they have a beginning, middle, and end, right? As opposed to a series, which will also conceivably have a could have a beginning, middle, and end, but it's such an extended period. It's much more about the ma- the maintenance, the how things keep going as opposed to the form itself, right? So features and shorts address a form and much the same way that like a short story i would argue many short stories make much better features than they than novels do um but short stories often aren't three acts right they're one act or two um like many shorts right but a, and a feature doesn't have to be three acts mind you but generally they are and we're most accustomed uh, to that um the challenge, right? Like uh, uh, to think of, like i I had this conversation yesterday with another producer about going to film festivals that are off the beaten track and how many bad movies you might experience as a result. And I totally uh, like to begin with, like part of my taste. Is what I would call a noble failure. You know, I often say, like I like the experiment and not the proof. I like to see somebody reach beyond their grasp. You know, and they don't always have to get that brass ring, right? You know, I I I find something moving in those things. Most people don't, and it's it definitely in terms of having a place in say the studio system or even in the side of the business. I had to recognize. That aspect of my taste is not one that it's easy to sell and I frequently can't sell. And so I can encourage it in a practice, but in terms of the work that I'm doing, it's hard to say, like, oh, I want to create a noble failure. <laughs> you know. So although I've created, <laughs> I created, I I've created a few. But when I watch work, you know, like I will watch work and say, oh, I admire what this person did. And I'm sure they learned from it. It didn't really work, but I think their best work now is, you know, definitely still to come. That's an expensive experiment, and a time and energy and emotion suck, right? You know, so uh, again, to to do go down that route you had to know you're that type of person in that type of situation that can go and and do that. But I definitely believe in production as development. You know, that um, I think that there are price points that you can aim for that are relatively safe, that you're not going to get rich and you're gonna still be relatively lucky to break even on um, that are going to advance you as an artist, you know so so there's definitely a place, and I do believe we could we could build a more sustainable business model that uh could work for those artists in you know production and development scenarios that still could be entertaining for more than just the few freaks that like noble failures like myself. <laughs> So
0: interesting. I I think too, Ted, there's, there is just a value. If you're, if you can figure out a way to really, really reduce your budget of letting a first time filmmaker go through the whole thing, even if it is a noble failure, so few writer directors get the chance to get in post and see what it looks like to cut a film and deliver it to a small independent distributor. And some of those experiences feel so invaluable because they provide a foundation for the next one. If you're so lucky to have that next one.
3: If you're doing that though, what I think which is great, and, and is precisely what you hit on at the end, if you are so lucky to be doing your next one. What I've never understood is the person that say makes the $150,000 movie doesn't have the plan for the next thing while they make that. Because it, particularly if you've done that through debt and credit cards and that sort of thing, and you don't have the next thing, it's gonna be so hard to do next, like uh, I think statistically, the time between people's first and second films uh, as directors is eight years, and that often the time between, uh, particularly women's uh, first and second, often the third is also eight years. And you know what? The time they say people like to take off for child rearing is also eight years, right? You know, so how do you make sure you don't get stuck in the in an eight year gap? right you know it's like sometimes like i t- i mean i totally get you finish something you're ready to go you want to bring it to market but even if you could finish that first draft or second draft on the next thing you know because really the again the time to sell is when expectation exceeds most likely the execution so if you have gone ahead and made that no budget low budget first feature and you show up at the film festival with your script for the second, you are going to be in such a better position than the person that has to like figure out what the next thing is.
1: Absolutely. Such good advice.
3: Yeah. That's how you engineer serendipity. That's how, you know, you, you, you keep, you, 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 you bring opportunity to you. You know, you I,
1: I think that. it goes for writing, too. And not everybody can do this. And I respect that some people can do one at a time. And that's what they can do as writers, because I came out of producing. I'm used to having a lot of pots boiling. I actually feel better uh, if I have. So I'm always either have multiple projects going or I've got one bubbling because I know when this ends, it's a six month to a year to get the next one up and going versus let's just go. I Here's my next thing. Let's go out and pitch. Um, I do think in terms of being a pro and being in the business, you do have to keep that always something, the next one going, uh, in order to do it. So it's interesting to also, I've never heard the perspective that even in terms of, as, as a writer director, you're going out to the festival. You've already, it makes so much sense. I can't believe I didn't think about it before, but it's really, really smart.
3: Um, and you reverse engineer it too. You write that script, right? The feature script. Maybe next, what you need to do is make a short. And when that short comes out, you have the script. Oh, smart. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So smart.
1: I just want to do that now because it's such a good idea. <laughs> Me too. I'm like, okay, I'm going to write a, a feature
2: script, come up with a short. In two yeah. rooms with two characters. I'm trying to figure out how to get this to apply to my the pilot I really want to make, right? the TV show I really want to make. I have the pilot. Like, I... As you're talking, I was like, how can I break this down into like a trailer short for the pilot to like, like, is that I just wondering if I could actually do that, but, you know, my brain's churning, my brain's churning.
3: You know what, what I'm excited to see happen, because I think it is inevitable. I think that we already have the precursors and examples you can look at, mostly from international and nonfiction space, but I think it can happen here too. Is independent television like independent film, you know, where that you've written all six of those episodes, you might have actually gone out and filmed more than just your pilot because it makes much more sense to go out and, you know, shoot them in block, you know, and you have those six things. What I always loved that, you know, before the age of streaming, people always like, Why don't you try TV? It's because I'm making all my new movies, that's why. I'm gonna make my movies. Um, and that that remains true. I can't tell you like how many friends I have that have spent 12, 15 years producing something before they make it and then they make it, right? Whereas like I hated that prior era, which also keeps coming back. Whereas like, you know, you might have written a season, you might have written, you know, six episodes, you might get to only shoot the pilot and then it's killed and it's like what huh like wouldn't it have been great if you could have gone out and shown them because the truth is they're not always right and sometimes you're not right either but uh but like i look forward to that time like i i have to believe that you know by doing things independently you can produce them cheaper and when you look at the investment that is made and how sometimes you know someone will think you know, twenty million of private equity into a feature, you can make an interesting uh, limited series or first season of a of a series, and that's a probably a better economic model now.
1: Love it, love it. This has, of course, been so as I knew it would be uh, stellar. I just, yes. uh, I have, I have a new T-shirt now. So I mean, <laughs> come on.
2: And but I, I love the soon. Or now, soon later, as a way to organize things instead of like high priority, medium, low, because it it makes it feel like I can actually get those things done. You
1: can actually rather than it.
2: like yeah. red alert or or ignore <laughs> ignore, which is like high and low, right? So this is like, oh, I'm gonna do it. I'm just also gonna get so it. many
3: things. Yeah. Also yeah. like keeping things human and humble, right? Like we're yes. not we're not like we don't have to use corporate speak, right? You know, we can we can Though I fall prey to it myself, but like, you know, it's like sometimes it's just like keeping it small really, you know, is the, the best way, the safest way and the way that can keep it unique to
1: you. Yes. Which is also my favorite part of what you talk about in terms of our own taste. And, um, uh, and I did tell my husband yesterday from our first episode, about the dwarf and the black hole, just how excited I am about it. Um, okay. So we always end with the same three questions. So we're going to end since this is our last episode with you so far today. Um, we're going to ask you our three questions, though I think we're going to make it a fourth because I want to f- throw a fourth one in here. Um, what brings you the most joy in your creative life? I. Uh-
3: I think there's many different levels uh, uh, of that. But I ha- I have to say that, like, when you hear different stories from people who have been affected by your movies, um, you know, I'm not going to use a filmmaker's name because I, they told me this in private, but I, I always loved it. Um, and maybe they'll tell you who they are one day. But, um, you know, uh, I was sitting with this filmmaker who said, like, when I was 12 years old, my mom like my, the thing I did with my mom was to go to the video store and we're at the video store together. And she says, Hey, do you want to look at this movie? It's the one that all the white people like about us, Asian people, right? Like, let's take a look at it. And so they brought the wedding banquet home and as they played it of Ang Lee's film, and as they played in front of them, the filmmaker was like, Holy cow, I'm gay. Like he hadn't recognized who he was until he saw that movie. Wow. And and it's like like, yeah, it's like that that's like knowing that things, you know, when someone says your film gave me courage or I felt seen or like like wonderful. I I love like, you know, because I'm getting kind of long in the tooth. Like people always like, I'm sorry to tell you, but like when I was in high school, I saw this movie (laughs) like um. No, I love it. Bring it on. Like yeah. 100% cuz I, I I I think that you know look look we we make work for large audiences but it's going to deeply affect that one person sometime and when someone reaches out and tells you I try you know when I feel something from a movie or a book you know i try to write a note about it even if it's sometimes i can't reach that person so i just put it out into the social media world or something like we have to tell people we love what they do and it speaks to us and the more specific in that note of appreciation the strength the more strength we're going to give them to do greater work and that that
1: happens because the original person went into their lava they went into that place that you're talking about Mm -hmm. So.
2: All right. So on the other side, the second question is, what pisses you off in your creative life?
3: Well, luckily, I think it's also the thing that 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 I find most energy in at the same time, and that's just simply no. Like, like when someone says no, I'm furious, and then I I come out of that, and it's like, fuck you. I'm gonna do. I'm not gonna do what you told me. I'm gonna do what I want. Right. (laughs) Like. And the more that they have it, the more determined I, I get. Like, yes, you have to listen like this, telling you, no, it's not going to happen here for a reason, right? But it doesn't mean it's not going to happen there. It means you better adapt, adopt that. One of the best, most successful people in the industry, uh, one of my movies, on um, the second time I brought it to them, said, Ted, look me in the eye. I'm not going to do this movie. Don't bring me this movie again. And that third time they did the movie. (laughs) They scared the shit out of me when they did that. And like, you know. I've done
2: that. I've done that with an artist. I wanted to work on my project. It was like, no, no, I know. I was like, or it could be this situation or this or this. And then I don't know if he just agreed to do it because he was tired of me badgering him. But, you know, he did it.
0: Amazing. amazing, uh, Ted. We love to ask if you could kind of go back in time and have a coffee with your younger self, right on the precipice of his creative career. What would you? What advice would you give to that Ted?
3: Hope. I, I think that the greatest gift that I had is not knowing what was going to come next. Don't worry about what comes next, right? Because you keep thinking, like, God, if I could just know more if I had known some of the things that I know now, I wouldn't have done them. And then I wouldn't have had that experience. Mm. Stop worrying about like needing to know, you know, be here now with who you are, push forward that like, keep learning, but don't let that hold yourself back. Like that's not a point of worry. And it definitely was a point of worry. I don't know enough. I'm not ready for this. I- I'm not going to be able to handle it. And the the breakthrough for me was when I started like actually getting hired without hustling, you know, like I had to, I had to work really hard and like to get my all my early gigs felt a little bit like trickery. And then I started getting hired, and I was like, I'm not ready for this. They they are hiring me for positions I'm not uh, ex- experienced for. I at a certain point I just said, you know what, they are more experienced than me, and they're hiring me, so I'm going to yes. trust that they're right. <laughs> and i'm just going to go ahead and 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 do that don't worry about what you don't know as long as you're still learning and committed to keep learning and trust you know that you're going to figure it out don't be a slacker but, yeah
1: don't be a slacker
3: it's such a great balm to
0: imposter syndrome right remembering this person said yes and they're really smart so i have to be okay right like that's a right. great imposter syndrome a thing to say to our brain that tells us that yeah. it's really wise
1: and our fourth bonus question today, um, looking back on your career, if you could be remembered for a scene or maybe a whole movie, um what would you like to be remembered for?
3: Well, I definitely don't want to be remembered for just one thing. so so like that, <laughs> that's a that's a trap. but uh, I very much love. The movie, in my experience, making American Splendor, which was a project I generated as a producer, that required so much good fortune and so much collaboration for different people, because we entered and we had Colin Callender was the head of uh, HBO, Maude Nadler was the executive in charge of the production. And we didn't have all the answers and we needed trust and faith to make that movie work. And they gave it to us, right? Bob Puccini, Sherry Springer Berman as the writers and directors on the, the project, you know, Paul Giamatti was not a star and Harvey, the subject of the movie, Harvey Picard was a, um, OCD manic depressive, uh, artist, you know, uh, but who, you know, you know, was a big challenge, but also wonderful, uh, you know, as we, we say in my house, grumpus, right. <laughs> you know, like yes. he, 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 he was, he was, uh, you know, n- never quite satisfied with his situation, and, but he was a delight and everybody loved him and loved his crankiness and uh, all of that. Um, and, We made that movie right after 9-11 and when it, when it happened, you know, I called Bob and Sherry and, and I was ready to give up. And they were like, no, let's go forward. You know, so, so we didn't like, we, we had, like I knew the form I wanted Bob and like, I, I went down many wrong paths. I'd been working on it for like three or four years, maybe. And I had defined like what I wanted to find because we had filmed video with them. Dah, dah, dah. like I, I was like, I want like the ideal people, to, the, the, the ideal collaborator would be probably a husband and wife team because it's about a family who, but I wanted to have a documentary element. I want it to be an unorthodox biopic. So they have to have written unorthodox biopics. God, I'm never going to find find the person to do it and Ann Carey was meeting with Bob Puccini and Sherry Spring of Berman, and I, they came in the office. And I was like, oh, my God, that's that couple that did that uh, great documentary on chasens. And they wrote that weird um, uh, biopic on Escobar, the the space age bachelor pad music composer. I was like, they're perfect. And so like when they were exiting, like, I ran over to them with a bunch of, you know, uh, sticky taped dog-eared comic books and said, I don't know if you know Harvey Picard, but would you guys please like read these in the order that I have them marked and like call me back. Their first draft got green light lit and their second draft got nominated for an Oscar. Wow. Um, Wow. And, you know, and it launched a bunch of folks careers and it, it, you know, it was a beautiful idiosyncratic movie. Um, So that's where I would go if I had to pick just one, but I would never just pick one. I know you would Of course not.
1: Thank you for picking one for us. It's a very mean
3: question, I know.
1: (laughs) And thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, It's just been so special to have you here and to get to have you for two episodes um, just really appreciate you and what you're giving back to our community uh, in general, writers, directors, producers. Um, please, uh, you know, I love your Substack. I hope that people will go and discover you over there too, because you're really writing so much interesting, compelling thoughts about the state of the industry today.
0: You have a wonderful book as well. Can
3: you remind our audience what's that, what that book is called? Yeah. Hope for Film, just like the Substack, you know. Keep the branding simple, Um, (laughs) you know, and there's two editions of it that are both a little different, but uh, and you can actually find it in Chinese and I'd happily publish it not for profit to benefit any film organization anywhere else in the world if they would do a translation just for uh, all right,
1: good. Let's put it out there. We have international listeners,
3: so I'm glad it was mentioned. Never know.
1: Uh, There, there goes that opportunity. Yeah, to get, but, here it comes. this
3: was this was super fun. And you guys are awesome. About what you do, like, you know, thank you. It it felt really good.
1: Oh, awesome. Good. Thank, thank you. you so much for being here. Thanks so much to Ted for joining us for both parts of our conversation. Make sure to check out his Substack, Hope for Film, where he is writing thoughtful articles about everything we've just discussed on a weekly basis.
2: And I am getting asked, and I'm sure, Meg, you are, too. What happens on our Patreon? Meg and I do a workshop once a month. One is a question and answer, so that's live. You show up, you ask us questions, anything you want. And the other one is a story workshop where you get to pitch a rough version of your story to us and we ask you lots of questions that sort of push you into maybe the lava or figuring out what your genre is. And I think most of the people that we've worked with, okay, I'm going to go out of a limb and say, all the people that we've worked with have found something really valuable from it. And even if you're not one of the people pitching, you also get something to, you get to hear us asking you those questions.
1: And all of those are recorded and you can go back and listen to the older ones and really get something out of that. Just from listening, you can come on and ask your question or pitch to us directly. And we formed this really just to, because you guys asked us to. Um, You guys wanted more direct contact with us, more one-on-one. So this is where we're doing it.
0: And I, we should probably say how to do it. Because I think a lot of you guys probably Patreon sounds like some kind of Transformers robot or something. Okay, but you got you them yeah, there. If, if you yeah. go to slash the screenwriting life, again, that's P A T R E O N.com slash the screenwriting life. You can sign up. It's really easy and you'll start getting emails to join our workshop. So it's laid back. It's casual and it's a very safe place to kind of show up and meet other TSLers. I get nervous to join these subscription things sometimes because I sort of feel like I'm an imposter or like, am I, you know, can I join this membership club? But ours is really like a come one, come all kind of ragtag family. And we'd love to have you over there.
2: And remember, you are not alone and keep writing.